some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. You know, they, they settled here and pretty much filled them all off. 
and there hasn't been a verified documented documented case of a um, bobcat. You know, they, they some people thought they may have seen them over the years, but they've never been able to document or verify since 1850 in this county. Yeah, that's well. See, what's exciting on from my perspective on that is is uh, your thoroughness uh, with with. Uh, checking out what this hair was. You weren't ever claiming to be Sasquatch hair, but you had no idea what this hair was. And Cindy, the Cindy Dosen, and she, of course, came back and, and, and gave you the update. Um, right. And that, yeah, that needs real research. That's solid research. Uh, and, and not even disappointing. Actually pretty exciting because of, of oh, the yeah, nature. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, because the landowner had no idea, really, that there was a there was bobcats out there. So, um, and the thing is, his neighbor has a uh, free-range chicken farm, <laughs> and he had just uh-huh. been saying like two weeks before that that his his chickens are suddenly coming up missing. So I think we might have the culprit. <laughs> very, you know, that could be. Um, that's a very high possibility. Uh, I know and, you've uh, placed some trail cams out in this area. Uh, yeah. You know, so maybe getting, <clears throat> and I think you will. You leave them out there long enough at the right height in the right area. Cats are creatures of habit, right? And uh, you will get pictures. Uh, I know you. You know you contacted uh, the wildlife department, correct? Yes, I did, and they, you know, they told me they haven't had a verified case of a bobcat in this county since they started keeping track. I believe it was like 1970, because they were, um, they were endangered, and in 2014 they were taken off the endangered list and put on the protective species list and so they're still protected in Ohio they're they're just not verified in this area but it appears that they're starting to make a comeback and you know even on this side of Ohio now yeah I got so you and that's uh, yeah well that you know that says a lot I mean here we have something we already know to exist and yet the the evidence in this area you know it's pretty scarce you know I mean, you don't have any trail cam pictures i mean of uh right. in this area i mean exactly uh, mm-hmm. yep they don't have any reports of that i mean if someone did get a, a picture at some time they've never reported it but i can't imagine that you know they wouldn't because that's a heck of a fine so and i haven't heard of one around here and i've been here for 40 years so <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, well, um, hopefully down the road here you'll be able to uh, pull out some um, pictures and maybe even find some tr- uh, tracks. I would imagine yeah. uh, down the road you might be able to yeah. find some tracks, you know, and kind of – it's really nice to figure out what you're dealing with out in, out, out in these areas and to come across a discovery like this. Oh, it's just – that's really cool. Uh, anything – you know, I know there's other uh, groups around the country – that have done similar things with uh, their research and, and discovered, you know, I think a group out of Northern California, you know, the, the Martin, I think they had on the trail mm-hmm. camp, and that was that was pretty exciting. Yeah. Your Hertz group. Yeah. The Bluff uh, Creek Project. Paid. Yeah, they yes, the Bluff Creek Project. Yeah. So it's always exciting to discover uh, uh, what's unknown out there, and it doesn't even have to be necessarily involved around the subject of Sasquatch. It's just part of the pursuit and part of the knowledge. Uh, yep, exactly. Yeah. So but, we're, uh, yeah we're still waiting on our guests still waiting on our guests to join us. Um so until they do, I will continue on. You know, I was out 
I was out this uh, past weekend again, um, doing doing my thing, and uh, really quite weekend out, uh, doing the audio trail cam thing. But I was going to say it's very important. Uh, you know, a lot of people expect when they go out to the woods to always have something strange happen or have a Sasquatch encounter or what have you. And and uh, for me, you know, it's just it's rare. I mean, it, you know, I, there's possibilities there, sure. But it's rare. And I think it's just as important when you're out in the woods and doing research that when you do not have an encounter uh, to document that stuff because you, you really gain a feel for um, what's going on out there all the time rather than just, you know, picking uh, what you would consider a hot time to be out. Now, do you agree, Julie? Right. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it gets, it gets, it could be like this type of research can be so boring at times, I guess. Not for me. I just love being out in the outdoors. My, I sleep the best when I'm on the ground in my tent or, or just, you know, in nature. And to get uh, a chance to be out there, and I get a lot of chance. I'm out there a lot. And that makes it uh, very exciting. And the possibility is always there for possible possibilities. But uh, we got to, uh, I think, get to a place where, uh, for, as as researchers and groups, uh, and I, a lot of them are there, um, but to get to a point where you know it's, it, to document this stuff and and not worry about uh, having those encounters or always finding evidence, document everything all times of year, and uh, and and you know see where you end up. Uh, but uh, here we go. I, I believe our guest is with us now, so I'm going to bring them on and quit rambling. Awesome. Hello, Jeffrey uh, Zumecki. Is that you? Yes, this is me. Welcome, hey. Monster X. Thank, thank you so much uh, for joining us, Jeffrey. Uh, pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you for having me on and inviting me to discuss this with you. Absolutely. It's uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not familiar with you, Jeffrey. Uh, I'm not familiar with uh, your encounters. Uh, so, do you mind telling the audience just a, a little bit about yourself and and if you had any uh, before you had any of these encounters, you know, were you interested in Bigfoot? No, because I had my first encounter when I was when I was like for the summer vacation between first and second grade, and that would have been like 1967 and 1968, and there wasn't really too much about Bigfoot going on then on television. So my first encounter was the first encounter I had with Bigfoot. Period. Oh, wow, you know uh, that's well. That's pretty. That's pretty rare. A lot of, a lot of the people I talk to, you know, um, they kind of had an interest, or they they had a lot more awareness of the subject. But to have uh, this, I mean, what went through your mind during this first encounter? I mean, what 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 was going on there? I mean, you're a young guy. Well, I was uh, picking blackberries with my aunt Joe and my cousin Jimmy, about probably. I'd say no more than a mile from our farm, and there was this uh, hay field that the Muncie family had. And in the middle of the hay field, well, it wasn't always a hay field. One year it'd be hay, a couple years later it'd be wheat and corn. You have crop rotation so you don't damage the soil. But through the years, they always stacked their rocks and small boulders in the center of the field. And that they got a lot of sunlight there. For whatever reason, the blackberries really, really like growing out of the, the rocks over there and from that area. So we were over there, we were picking up berries, filling our buckets, and this berry patch ran north to south. And the time of day we were picking our berries is right after supper, 
and the sun was just starting to go down because it was like uh, beginning of June where it stays daylight here till almost like 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. And the sun had just started to go down over the peaks, but it was still daylight and had a nice purple glow going. And we were picking berries, and the next thing we knew, there's this big, tall thing that stood up, and uh, my cousin Jimmy started screaming, Monkey Man, Monkey Man. My Aunt Joe said, Jimmy, Jeffrey, let's go to the car, and uh, we, we ran to the car. I remember looking at it. It probably had to have been, let's say, six to six and a half foot tall. It's black, covered in black hair and had like a, a light brown to a dark tan face. We got in the old Malibu, and we beat feet back to the farm, and that was it for that night. Wow. I mean, wow. So, yeah, wow. So, Monkey Man, uh, is that how you would have described what you saw? Yeah, that's how I would have described it. The, the whole time I looked at it, it had to have been less than 10 seconds. So I was like, we were picking berries. Next thing you know, it stood up. My aunt screamed. I looked over. There it was, and uh, we all started running towards the car. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and, I mean, how close close were you uh, at the time to this monkey man? I'd probably say no more, no less than eight feet. Wow, that's that's really close. Julie, you had a question? Uh, yeah, could you tell us the county, and that's in Pennsylvania, right? Yes, this would be Erie County, Pennsylvania. Erie County, okay, thank you. And uh, this happened in between uh, Wattsburg and Arbuckle. Okay. What time of year uh, did this uh, occur? Obviously, it's berry it's season. Summer. Summer, right, right in, in June, summer. early June. Okay. What was its demeanor? I mean, it stood up. So was it? Do you think it was caught off by surprise, or it finally just? I mean, it, that's really close. It had to known you were there. Uh, Truthfully, for, I know. think we surprised him as much as he surprised us. Uh, I, I, think I would assume that uh, eating some berries, and we were there picking some berries, and he stood up to get a better look at was making noise in his area, and we saw him, and we just got out of there. Mm-hmm. How tall? Uh, how tall were the the bushes in this area? If you don't mind me asking, you know, I mean, uh, <clears throat> I would imagine, you know, you're you're there, you can't see anything, it stands up, and then bam. I'd say from uh, let's say just below waist high to chest high on an adult, being lower towards the outside edges of the berry patch and and taller towards the inside of the berry patch. And this is the and, height. And inside I would imagine the berry of... patch, there'd be some small sumacs, maybe like five foot tall. Gotcha. Can you describe uh, what you saw exactly? Uh, I mean, hair-wise, um, any physical attributes that uh, this thing had? Uh, it was, like I said, about six to six and a half foot tall. Uh, had an athletic build, like a basketball player, baseball player, swimmer kind of build. His hair was, uh, his body was totally hair covered. I couldn't see any skin through the hair, except except for like its hands and its uh, face. I could see. Mm-hmm. And the hair length on it was probably like the length of a German Shepherd, maybe a little bit longer than a German Shepherd, maybe a Husky. Which huh. is pretty pre- prevalent when describe it, when the length of hair is described. Uh, you know, I mean, was this uh, any idea if it was male, female? I mean, do you get the impression that it was an adult or a juvenile? Uh, looking back on it, now I'd say it's probably a young adult, a, uh, a juvenile male. Mm-hmm. 
and the uh, the, the physical built you know buildup of this thing was it? Ma- I mean, mass. Do you see? Did you see muscle definition at all? Yes. Yeah. You can see muscle underneath the hair. It was defined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about a? Uh, um, you know, I'm going to give you some of the usual questions. You know, uh, <laughs> did you see a neck, ears? Did you, can you describe the face at all? Uh, face was uh, there wasn't much of a, a cone to its head. The ones around here that I've seen haven't had very much of a conical head. It's either very mm-hmm. slight conical or round on the heads. And I remember that. I really don't remember seeing ears on it. Mm-hmm. And um, had a very, very short neck. You know what I mean? Very short neck, big shoulder muscles. Yeah, yeah. yeah the uh, what about the eyes? Uh, eyes or nose? Anything there that stood out to you? The eyes I remember being very, very dark brown. Which is yeah, which is once again um, typical with uh, Sasquatch reports. Uh, uh, anything about the mouth or the? Uh, I mean, was. Was the mouth wide? Was it short? He had a, a wider mouth, but it was closed. Like he didn't have it open at all. To see no teeth or not anything. He just it was there. You know what I mean? I just saw his lips. Mm-hmm. No teeth. Yeah. In the face, uh, and a lot of reports, um, you know, from witnesses that are reported, is that there's a lack of hair on the face, but uh, you know, around the edges, there's hair. Yeah, similar to what you saw. Yes. Yeah. So it's pretty Do you much ever get the impression until it got around like where the back of the mouth would be, then it mm-hmm. started to get some hair there. It went from from bare skin to sparse hair to hair. This is your initial sighting. Did you get the? What was your impression? You said monkey man. Um, does that describe it? Looking back now, accurately, or I mean, did you get the impression that this thing was more human-like? or more ape-like, uh, you know, based on what a lot of people describe, you know, it's it, it differs. It was uh, more, it was ape-looking, but more human-looking on the ape side, mm-hmm. you know. It yeah. didn't have the, a build like it had more of a build like a very muscular human. Had the face, it was an ape-like face, but it had a very lot of human qualities to it from what I remember. I wasn't really afraid yeah. of it. I was, I was surprised, you know. Mm-hmm. I actually was. I actually wanted to stay and look at it a little bit. Put my hand, you know, it basically yelled for us to go to the car, so I ran to the car with it. Yeah, do you, I would imagine. Do you, she, yeah, go ahead, Julie. Yeah, do you recall, Jeffrey? The eyes. There was there wasn't any part of the eyes that were white. It was dark brown. I just remember seeing eyes that dark brown. I didn't see any white. I didn't see any yellow okay. or anything like that. Okay. Hmm. Kind of like a deer eye or a cow eye would be, you know. Okay. Like that. Yeah, and you're—I mean, you guys get in the car and you guys just took off, and that was that. Right. Did you guys talk about? Uh, I mean, your aunt. I mean, did she have anything to say on the ride home or what? Not too much. We got in the house. And we all sat at the table for a little bit, and you know. Uh, Uncle Lawrence came out and we talked about it a little bit and and then uh, his older brother Chucky came out and we talked about it a little bit and then Lawrence was saying, oh, it's the monkey man. You know what I mean? Things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Because that area has a history of it and the older people called it the, the howler, the breather, the swamper, the walker, the watchers, things like that. Because that, Northwest Pennsylvania has a history of that. 
Yeah, it has a, a long history of that. And I was going to ask you as well, I mean, this, this area that you guys were picking the berries, um, how how remote was this area? Was it super remote? How far off the road? And what is in the surrounding areas? I mean, do you have bodies of well, water, a lot of... Well, well yeah. back then, the, the neighbors, right now, it's uh, kind of getting suburbanized. I really hate to say that because I, I hate seeing, you know, a farmland go to a bunch of subdivisions and 5,000 square foot homes. I hate that. Mm-hmm. But back then, there was like maybe my, our closest neighbor was a quarter mile away with our average neighbor being a half a mile to a mile away back then. And um, where this sighting happened at, it's Erie County, Pennsylvania, eastern Erie County. It's very close to the New York border, and that area goes from rolling hills in Pennsylvania where it starts to go into the Allegheny Mountains. And Allegheny Mountains, they're not really big mountains like you find out west or in the Carolinas, but they are they are big mountains. And that's that area of Wattsford. And a French Creek starts in New York State in that area. It has a very, very small creek. And by the time it winds through Wattsburg, it gets to be about 20 foot wide, 4 to 10 foot deep in certain areas. And there's hundreds if not thousands of little feeders, streams, and brooks that flow into this. And there, and also in that area, there's a lot of swamps, a lot of marshes, and some beaver dams. So there's a lot of uh, fresh water around. There's a lot of cover. A lot of the swamps are beech and hemlock swamps, and a lot of the and some of the swamps have the red branch. I don't know what you call it, but it's like very thick red branch, and they don't get very tall, maybe about eight foot tall. That it could take you easily, let's say, uh, ten minutes to a half hour to go a hundred yards when you're hunting. Mm-hmm. So back to the the the, the subject uh, uh, to what you saw the monkey man, you know uh, one of the questions in our chat room um, from one of our listeners is you know can you uh, what was the the ratio of the um, arm to uh, leg length? I mean did what did you see long arms, short arms, thick I, arms? I I really didn't see too much arm. I saw the hand on one side. But the rest of the body was by the berry bushes, so I honestly can't say how long the arm hung down on okay. that particular. Did it never raise its hands up at all at you, like you know, no, above it, its head it, or? It not, no, not at all. Its hands are just at its side, you know. Yeah. The whole time. Yeah, and well, it means demeanors, like you said, from what you're describing, seemed uh, uh, well, it stood up. So I mean, obviously, it knew it was going to be seen, um, and uh, was maybe inquisitive or surprised that you were there. And you guys, and like off. I was telling you, I think we surprised him as much as uh, he surprised us because we were probably there from the time we walked from the car to that little rock pile with the berry bushes on it and started filling our buckets. Maybe five minutes had passed. We weren't there that long. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a that's a lot of berries, though. <laughs> you know, it well, sounds yeah. like a, we, it had well, great we reason to be there. We went, we went back the next day to pick our buckets up. <laughs> Oh, wow, wow. So you guys weren't too th- – I mean, you guys didn't feel too threatened that you guys obviously went back there. Right. Yeah. Did you look for any um, evidence at that time? No, I was – like I said, I was like seven, eight years old at that time, and uh, that was the last thing on my mind. Back mm-hmm. then, the thing that was on my mind was my bicycle and my BB gun. That was about it, and fishing. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> 11-year-old. Uh, what about – did you – this initial encounter, did you smell anything, and do you remember the direction of the wind? I mean, was there any smell, anything, you know, was where was the wind blowing? 
I I remember that night. It, there wasn't there wasn't really a breeze that night. It was just cool. It was still and cool. I remember that, and we didn't smell anything. Hmm. Nothing but the normal farmland smells, you know, like uh, some manure coming from somewhere. But that's about it. We smelled nothing out of the ordinary. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, so uh, no, it, very interesting stuff. Now, you had this initial encounter, um, you, but you've subsequently had others, uh, correct? Yes. Yeah, and uh, I got to ask you, was it are some of these other encounters? Were they in the same general vicinity and also Yes, on there, that? there was another one yeah. later that summer, probably about, a, I'd say, no less than a month later. And um, mm-hmm. it was fairly close to where the berry patch incident happened. I would say it happened in a woodlot by the barn. And this woodlot was, if you look at it towards the barn, the woodlot's probably a quarter mile long by about no more than uh, 50 to 75 yards wide at the widest point on it. It's mostly older trees, They and all the older trees are about 40 foot apart. You had some smaller trees, and the place was loaded with may apples and, uh, like, uh, grapevines hanging down from the trees. We used to play Tarzan, Cowboys and Indians, and uh, Army back there all the time. And we were playing in the woods, and when you grow up in the farm country, you're taught to tell time by the clock. I'm not the clock, but the sun, and the sun was down a certain part in the, in the sky, and we uh, that's time for us to go back and start doing chores. So we started heading back. We cut across the woodlot, and there we had a small cornfield that was next to it that would have been like knee-high to waist-high on an adult, the corn. We started walking through the corn, and uh, Jimmy's brother, Chucky, was at the back door of the barn, and he got a wide-eyed look on his face and yelled for us to run towards the barn as fast as we can and don't look back. Well, Jimmy and I looked up to Chucky, and we just ran there, did what he said, and we didn't look back. When we got to the barn, he told us to go in the milk house and get the cider underneath the cooler. And uh, the whole time, Chucky had a barn gun in his hand and uh, was watching us go. And about 30 seconds later, he collected us up and walked us to the house. And that incident there, Chucky saw what was chasing Jimmy and I, but Jimmy and I, we didn't see what was chasing us because he told us to run towards the barn and not look back. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you obviously didn't see see uh, what the commotion was all about, but you knew to uh, listen and adhere to the advice, and you guys got out of there. Right. Did, did, did he uh, mention later what, the, what was going on? Yep, told us it was the monkey man again. Mm. Monkey man. Monkey man again. Uh, and this is in clo- pretty uh, close proximity to your original sighting? Yes, that, uh, from where if you took a line and drew it from the barn and had a straight line going to it, it'd probably be like a quarter mile away. So, so chances are, uh, it may very well have been the same individual. I would, I would imagine. Uh, I, I assume so. Yeah. In, uh, in, did he, uh, did he give you a description? He said monkey man, but I mean, uh, what was his impression? Um, and then how was this thing acting? Was it acting differently, or, or just happened to see it? It was just uh, what he said was following us. Mm-hmm. It wasn't trying to catch up to us, but it was just following us. And wow. We were about, so maybe, yeah. And we were probably about, let's say, 100 yards or less from the barn when he told us to start running up towards the barn. 
Gotcha. I, yeah, I understand. So, so I mean, that ended. Uh, um, was there, uh, once again, was there talk afterwards? Uh, you know, with the aunt or anything with your aunt? I mean, about this. I mean, now you, you have. So, what I'm getting at is, you you probably were out in the, the woods picking berries uh, many years. I, you weren't, this wasn't your first time out picking berries with your original counter, correct? And then now you have these two sightings uh, with within close proximity and time in this area. It's kind of uncanny. Yes, it is. And all all yeah. that summer, there was um, uh, there was a lot of howling going on around a lot of the farms, like coming from the tree lines or from behind the barns, close to the barns. And this howl, I only heard it one time. It sounded like a cross between a woman screaming and a dog howling. Were the uh, now you, now you're talking about this area? Yeah. Were any of the uh, you didn't have neighbors super close by at this time, but, I mean, were the neighbors um, mentioning to you uh, or any friends? I mean, were you guys talking about this with anybody, or was this kind of like hush-hush? We were talking with other kids in the neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. our friends and everything. Did, did they have and any us, similar experiences? Uh, Jimmy and I were the basically the ones that saw it, and some of the adults saw it, you know. Mm-hmm. And but, the uh, you mean, what I, those, what's up? Yeah. I was going to say, you know, in this, you know, you're talking about a, a relatively small area as far as the amount of people. It, it's, uh, it's interesting that, you know, this thing, if it was the same individual or subject, it was kind of hanging around and, you know, you're talking about sounds now and, and two sightings. Um, that to me is interesting. What was it doing there? Why was it there, and uh, for how long was it there? Well, if you uh, took a, if you went on a map and you put a pinpoint in the area where Muncie's farm was, and went on a five-mile scale and drew a five-mile radius, that's where everything was happening at. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was the what was the closest water source? You know, I mean, were you guys? This is Ohio, of course. Hey, a lot of water. Was, what was the closest water there source? Was, the water sources were everywhere, man. Mm-hmm. You have uh, the main branch of French Creek that runs right down through there, which is probably about no more than a quarter to a half a mile away. Then you have all kinds of little feeder streams that are all over and dotted dotted through that area. Plus, there's farm ponds and there's springs in that area. So there's, the water is no no problem in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, you got a you, you got a you got a water source. You have berries. And I'm and sure you have, you have other ungulates and have, animals in this area. You have fields, you had peach orchards, apple orchards, you know, pear mm-hmm. orchards, all through that area. No reason well, something couldn't be in this area for an extended period of time and, and I guess stay undetected. You know, it had plenty of places to uh, forage and roam and, and stay hidden if it so wanted well, to. Right, like I was telling you about some of the swamps and take you yeah. – like 15 minutes to a half hour to go 100 yards by the time you do that they'd be gone or you're not even going to go in that a lot of the older mm-hmm. older people like the great grandparents would tell us to stay away from uh, certain areas of the woods tell us to stay away from certain swamps certain creek areas the flats around some of the creek areas and uh, stay in the wood lots and close to the barns and the machinery sheds where we could be under adult supervision uh, yeah, and, and you know, Jeffrey, you and I had talked about that before. Your was it your grandmother or your aunt that called them the cat people? 
That was my friend's great-grandmother. Your friend's grandmother. And was she referring to these things, you think, or was she... Um, I'm, I'm not uh, too sure, know. Julie. I, I think she was. I think that's what she called them. Okay. Like we talked about before, I, I, I agree with you. I think she saw something back in back in her younger days that made her that stuck with her mind like that. And she was adamant about us that when that stuff started happening happening to, for us to stay close to the barns and close to the houses. Okay, and she lived how far from you guys? She lived with the Muncie family. So she lived okay. right there. Okay. That's interesting. Well, it's really interesting that you mentioned cat people because that is uh, that is a name that's been um, tossed around in different parts of the country, and I always got I always wonder. Okay, I, I understand why you called it a monkey man. Now, why do people call it? Uh, or I mean, maybe it's two separate things. I don't know. But a lot of these big reports uh, from back, uh, not so much recently, but back in the day, they called it you know cat man or, or it had some sort of cat like attributes. Uh, and I, you know, when I look at a cat, what are the things that stick out to me? You know, ears, eyes. So, uh, specifically the eyes. And so, and and you know, Sasquatches reported to be very stealthy and whatnot. So you're talking about it's maneuvering around. You know, I mean, did your did your relative, your grandma? I mean, did she see something? I mean, what was that? That's interesting. But yet she also had this. Um, she wanted you to stay safe, and she wanted you to stay out of certain areas. Exactly. Well, all the yeah. older people did. They told us to stay away from a certain area. So when yeah, was your is, next yeah. encounter? My, our next encounter that I had was after my dad married my stepmom. We uh, we leased a 500-acre farm at a place called Lavery's Corners, which is basically right in between Edinburgh and Albion, PA, on uh, Route 6N with an intersection at 98. And... Uh, my brother Larry and I were watching championship wrestling one night. It was just after Christmas, after New Year's, that holiday, right after the holidays. And there was a really bad winter, that winter, I remember that. And uh, Larry and I went to the kitchen to get some more popcorn during during the commercial. And in the kitchen, we had a small picture window. And Larry and I were looking at the blizzard throughout the picture window. Then we saw looking at us about 40 feet away from the house something that was hair covered, covered in snow, and about, I'd say about six and a half to seven foot tall, just looking at us, kind of glaring at us. And Larry and I just threw our bowls on the counter, ran, ran up here in the living room and told Dad, 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 there's something out there. you got to come look at it. you got to come look at it. And my dad said, shut up. You know, he was watching wrestling. <laughs> so, and about after wrestling, Larry and I went outside, got our uh, snowmobile suits, and I went outside to where this thing was. But by that time, it was it was a blizzard that night. By the time we got out there, there were no tracks to be found anywhere. And that that encounter lasted probably all of about I'd say less than seven seconds. Yeah, real short, real short encounter. It, it, now, how old were you when you saw this, this during this third encounter? Uh, about ten. About ten. Yes. Okay. Um. When you originally had your first counter, how old were you then? I was uh, seven or eight. That was, like I said, that was a summer vacation in between first and second grade. Okay. So, uh, 
and, and it's you're you're at the same house. You, you didn't move or anything. It's the same area. Uh, well, no, we moved. We moved to about probably, I'd say, twenty miles away from that area. And this was at a place like it's at Lavers Corners. It's right in between uh, Edinburgh and Albion, Pennsylvania. And another thing too, it's probably about three miles north of the Crawford County line. Hmm. I was just waiting for a question. Oh. Um, so that was the third time that you, that's okay. That's the third time that you saw something. Um, and you've had a total of about seven times that you've seen something that resembled what we would describe as a Bigfoot. Um, so most of them were like brief few seconds of seeing the, the creature, if you will. Um, yeah. And then how old were you the, the next time that you saw one? Well, uh, I was probably the last, next time I saw him, that's probably after I got out of the Navy in uh, 1981. But in between that time there, Larry and I used to do a lot of camping down by the beaver dams, and uh, we used to hear breathing and walking through the woods at night. Really? Yes. Were you guys scared? Uh, we were creeped out, but needless to say, we kind of got used to it. Okay. All we would do was we just throw more wood on the fire. <laughs> right. One of the one of the questions that I know that a lot of uh, listeners, you know, will be asking their head, is, and uh, this is not an attack or whatsoever, just a pure question, and the fact that Sasquatch encounters are rare. Why do you think you've had um, the opportunity to possibly witness uh, and, and visualize, you know, see in person, uh, you know, possible, you know, a Sasquatch? I think it's just the areas where we live that and areas where I've hunted and fished at. Truthfully, that's all I can think. Mm-hmm. There's other people who've had encounters in those areas also. It's not just me. No, absolutely. No, I, I, uh, like I said that you know Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is, is pretty well known for for uh, a lot of uh, mm-hmm. Sasquatch um, reports um, and, and encounters, um, you know. But uh, I just had to ask you that because uh, you know a lot of people. Well, you know, that oh, and up until the time that um, I got married and became a father and everything, I used to spend uh, hundreds and hundreds of hours out in the woods a year. I was always mm-hmm. in the woods hunting or hunting, fishing, scouting for game, camping. I was always out there. And I think that's the key. You know, you have to, if you're trying to find one, if you're trying to see one, you're trying to find sign of one, you have to get off your ass and get out in the woods. You're not going to find them driving around. You're not going to try them just, you're just not going to find them sitting on a computer trying to learn as much as you can. That's fine and good for getting some ideas. But if you want to learn, get out in the woods, get out in the fields, get by the streams, look in the swamps. You have to, you know, it's like, like I said, I was a hunter and a fisherman, and I, I've seen all my, had all my encounters either hunting or scouting for game. And you weren't looking for them. They just... No, I, I was never looking for them at any given right. time in my life. I just, dumb luck, I stumbled across them, or they stumbled across me. Right. And that seems to How... be um, a lot of people who have had an encounter weren't really looking for them. They, you know happened to be at the right place at the right time. 
yeah, it definitely sounds like uh, definitely sounds like you, sir, were in the right place at the right time um, for these encounters. You know, one of the things that uh, I wanted to mention was with your initial encounter, berries. <clears throat> a lot of reports and a lot of uh, some of the circumstantial evidence that I've, I've come across over the years has involved berries, berry bushes, uh, and whatnot. Um, I mean, the significance there, um, I think, is rather obvious. It's a food source. You know, so uh, yeah, I mean, how how has this area? You, do you think that Sasquatch is still in these areas out there? I mean, how how has it changed? You mentioned a little bit earlier, um, but how has how have these areas changed? Uh, you, is there a chance Sasquatch is still in in those counties? Yes, I do believe that they're in Erie County, and I, I actually think there's a lot more than people would think would be up here. Because mm-hmm. I think they're going into the thicker areas around, like, the railroad tracks and, you know, the, the Erie Beaver Barge Canal beds. I think they're heading deeper towards the swamps, the thicker areas. And there's uh, even reports of them having been seen and signs of them in the suburban areas of uh, Girard and Fairview Township here in Erie, and here in Erie County. Mm-hmm. Wow. Where, where does this put you? I mean, do you go out and 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 are you now looking for Sasquatch or or you? I mean, what are your thoughts? Uh, are you uh, are you afraid of Sasquatch? You... Oh yeah, I, I don't trust the thing. I, I don't want to see him ever again. But I'm teaching a younger <laughs> friend of mine on what to look for and signs of them and things like that. I still get out in the woods. There's certain places I don't like to go to alone, and there's certain places I won't step foot in at all. Mm-hmm. And these what about that I won't, What's that? No, go ahead. And these places that I won't step in foot or in foot at all, it's mainly because if something happened, you're not going to get out of there very fast, you know? All right. But what's sad about that to me is that's where you find the biggest deer, and that's where you find the deer that are hiding during the deer season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what about reports from, you know, I mean, uh, you're obviously – older than you know now have you have you uh heard of uh anybody else i mean we know there are reports from these areas but do you know anybody personally that's had encounters in these areas that have shared them with you yes different and, fishermen and what were they from their fears or? um yes and no the the property owner that i check out his property for him every now and then they have um their their encounters and their uh, things start happening right around the middle of September up until the beginning of November. And what's unique about that is that's when a lot of the apples and uh, a lot of the fruits are uh, ready for harvest. That's when a lot of grains ready for harvest. And that's when the, the steelhead and the coho salmon start running from Lake Erie up the tributary t- uh, streams to spawn. And they'll run anywhere from a uh, quarter mile upstream all the way about let's seven, seven to ten miles upstream in certain areas, and that's where they would have that's where they have the encounters at in the fall. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what you're describing with, to me, uh, you're describing and to along me with is, the fish is, runs, you also mm-hmm. have um, turkey season that's getting ready to start. The birds are flocking up, and then you have a uh, deer season coming up around that time where the deer are in rut. So right on that's Western Erie County, and that's we pretty much have a a full smorgasbord going on about that time. Hmm. Yeah, what you're describing to me, uh, it, I'm seeing some patterns here. 
uh, I think you would agree that, and, and and once again for obvious reasons, <clears throat> but you're seeing a pattern here. You got, you know, uh, the fruit, um, the, the the possible fish, the you know steelhead and whatnot coming through there. If Sasquatch is going to be in this area this time of year, there's a good reason why it would be there, and a good reason why people are encountering them because they're out there uh, hunting and, and foraging and doing their thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No, it makes a lot of sense. I love patterns. <clears throat> I love patterns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love of predictability, and that's what I'm hearing <clears throat> based on what you're sharing with me from Pennsylvania. I, I've never been to Pennsylvania. But I have friends in Pennsylvania. I know uh, researchers out in Pennsylvania, and this is all very similar um, information that you've shared. Uh, you know, uh, you know. So, Jeffrey, uh, where, where where do you think, um, where do you think is a Sasquatch? You know, as as in research. I mean, you don't. I wouldn't. You don't consider yourself a researcher. But where do you think the Sasquatch research is going? Do you. And what are your thoughts? Do you, do you want this thing to be found, known, or you just don't care? Uh, I'm in the I, I don't care part of it. I would prefer that it not be found. People who know, know, you know. But I just don't mm-hmm. want to see it. I really don't want to see the thing be found because then it's going to become hunted. Whether they protect it or not, it's going to become hunted, you know. Mm-hmm. And is, is, sometimes I've been at odds with these guys and, you know, I've, heard stories about farmers that have killed them off and things like that, but I don't want to see that happen, you know? Yeah. I, really I, I would think, the, yeah, I think the majority of people would not want to see it happen. I will say that, uh, you know, there's a lot of hunters out there now. Um, I mean, I was just out in, in the woods um, with uh, a friend of mine, but also a guy that's been on this show before that had, that had a uh, an encounter where he had one in its uh, scope, and he did uh-huh. not pull the trigger one because he didn't know what it was. But um, there's hunters out there. I mean, uh, they, they could be technically hunted right now without really, you know, you get some careless hunter that shoots one and they don't know what they're shooting at because they're, a, you know, they don't have ethics. But um, you know, I, I guess I, I personally do want them to be discovered. Um, I don't think I just don't see um, a mass. Even if people want to go out and hunt them, I mean, look where we're at now. Uh, we haven't even proven the existence of Sasquatch. Uh, I don't or think people are going to have more circus, luck just because it. Yeah, it, well, it, it, it's that is true. It could be. I just don't. I don't see it happening. Um, but it's it's a possibility. I just don't see people having any luck. We're not having luck now, and there's people actually out there trying to shoot one now. So. Uh, All right. Yeah, but um, and, you know, who knows? It's a, that's a it's a valid point. I can't argue with it because uh, uh, it's not been proven yet. Um, but I don't doubt its existence. I know I know Sasquatch is out there. Uh, what it is, I won't claim to know, but it, it is out there. But, uh, Jeffrey, um, anything else you want to share with us uh, over the years? Any stories, any other encounters, um, any um, thoughts? Well, some things that happened to me while I was hunting in the eastern Erie County, I, I get a lot of tree peaks out there. You'll be sitting down, something will catch you out the corner of your eye, you'll look over, and you might see like a head look towards you, and then the head goes behind a tree, and you'll get up and go take a look where it's coming from, and there's nothing there. And there's times where I've seen them like walking in the woods, and and then they'll probably notice me or know that I'm there, then they put a tree in between me and them, and they're gone. You know, because wow. they, they thought you were, 
that's well, that's a way to hunt deer too. You you see a deer in the woods, you put yourself in a tree in between you and the deer, and you can sneak right up on it. It won't see you. Mm-hmm. That's the same strategy that they use there, I believe. Are you mostly a, a? I mean, are you mostly a foot hunter? I mean, you're on foot, or do you use tree stands or anything like that? I, I'm a I, I'm a I stalk. I'm a foot hunter. I stock, don't yeah. I don't believe in stands. Because mm-hmm. after what all, it's called hunting, not sitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I like that. <laughs> but uh, you know, these uh, these areas. I mean, what kind of trees? I mean, if something's tree peaking, and I've witnessed this firsthand, what kind of trees are we talking about? Like how how big a tree are we talking about in the state of Pennsylvania, and what kind of trees? Well. Well, uh, the woods up around where I live and where I hunt are predominantly hardwood. Uh, you have uh, maple, you have oak, you have uh, beech, you have cherry, and, uh, you know, alder, you've got ash, and you've got some old-growth hemlocks, which are hemlocks kind of cross between a softwood and a hardwood. Mm-hmm. They're like a tree that was, like, caught in the prehistoric times just before it, it's still changing from a from like a pine tree into a tree with leaves on it. But our mm-hmm. trees go anywhere from old growth trees that are probably, I'd say, 80 to 100 foot tall to the average one that's probably about 40 to 60 foot tall. Yeah, so we're we're talking some, you know, substance, some, some substantial trees. You know, uh, in a former life, I used to transplant trees, so I'm always curious about trees and the, the what kind of trees are in an area and how big they are. Um, you know, especially if something like a Sasquatch peeking behind trees, you know, it's got to have, you know, we're not talking about thin trees. We're talking about, you know, somewhat substantial trees to hide behind and, and move to, to and fro from. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, when yeah, was your last encounter? My last encounter? Yeah. That, that's when I was uh, driving to work from a girlfriend's house one Saturday morning. I can't tell you the exact month. It was just before trout season. It could have been late March or it could have been early April. And I was driving down Old State Road, and Old State Road got its name from, uh, from it used to be the border between New York, Pennsylvania, and Ohio at one time until New York gave uh, Pennsylvania Erie County. That's how we got Erie County. And I was driving down that road. I had just left the Waterford town limits, was heading to where it becomes rural and farmland again. I come around a slight corner. And there, standing towards the middle of the road, was a big, huge, giant gray Sasquatch. And this thing cleared the road in two steps, and it got by a road sign, which is regulation height. The height of it is eight foot, and as he was, his head was a good foot and a half to two foot taller than the sign. And he crossed from uh, north, moving south from the farmland into the swamp. He stepped down off a little levee looked at me kind of a little bit, and then he just walked off in the swamp and disappeared into the trees. And that happened at about, like, 4.35 o'clock in the morning. Wow. Okay. How long ago was this, when I mean, this last encounter? About 2010. Okay. May I suggest and you, you carry can... a camera with you? <laughs> Hot damn. <laughs> I had, and that's the last thing on my mind when I head into the woods, is having a camera with me. I'm I'm more about taking my day pack with me, a walking stick, and... That's it right there. The camera's never really was that important to me. You know, I've, yeah, I've I understand. seen like hair, hair and trees and hair on uh, fences and everything, and I've looked at it and go, oh, that's weird, you know, and just keep on walking. Like research on this isn't isn't important to me. That's that's not what I'm out there looking for. I'm looking for deer, you know. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. And I think you mimic a lot of – see, there are so many reports out there that go um, – that are never released, never shared, because a lot of people just don't – care they're, they're they have you know they're deer hunters they're bear hunters they're they're just hunters in general and it's the last thing on their mind you know they don't care to film their their kill um what they're after they're just out trying to get some meat on the table and and hunt what they're hunting and i think that's a very important point to make um why some of this stuff some of the say like hair for example like you just described um to me i would you know uh, as an investigator of the subject, you know, I'm going to nab that hair. But to a hunter, they're like, eh, it's interesting. I don't care. I'm going hunting. It's going to clutter up my bag. You know, that's all you think about, you know. Uh, right. Yeah. And, yeah, you, and you're going to make yourself known. Uh, you're, you're going in stealthy. You know, you're not trying to uh, make yourself known to your prey. So that's a, it's a, right. it's a very interesting point. I think it's a very interesting point uh, as to why we don't get a whole, whole lot more out of, you know, hunters specifically. I mean, hunters are out there, you know, sometimes uh, more than most. And uh, they, I know there's, a, I know a lot of hunters that have extraordinary stories, but they just, you know, they're hunters and they don't, they're not researchers. They don't care to prove anything or whatnot. And so there you go. Well, that's the way I feel about it. It doesn't. I, I could care less about finding one. Like I said, like I go out in the woods to to hunt, camp, or fish. That's it. Mm-hmm. Now, Jeffrey, did you say the last one you saw was gray? Yes. Okay. Yeah, hmm. that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, uh, Julie, you. I mean, maybe you have some thoughts on that for the state of you know. Well, actually, Ohio. You have you know some reports out of Ohio. I don't know about gray, but white. Right, and um, I believe where where Jeffrey's at over there in Pennsylvania, you've had several reports of of white ones, if I remember right. Um, you know, yes, from reading been, up on, yeah. Yeah, I think you guys have Brian more. Speech that's, there's a researcher uh-huh. named Brian Speech that's been tracking one from Southern Erie County down to like uh, northern Lawrence County and that's probably about a about a good 120 mile stretch. And again that follows the French Creek Valley Basin and into the Allegheny River Basin. And like where I've seen far from Ohio, I mean like it borders it. And I had right. my creepiest encounter on the Ohio border at the game lands, the Pennsylvania game lands number three fourteen. Haven't been back there since that happened. Well, can you briefly um, tell us what happened with that? Yes, it was uh, it was the winter of 1992. My father had passed away in the summer. It was my first uh, deer season hunt without my dad. And my dad and I, we talked for a lot about like going out with old single shot shotguns and hunting deer, like uh, his brother used to do back during the Depression days. So I went and bought one, and I was going out to the game lands on 314 because. It's a very great, it's a good hunting area for a lot of the reasons that I mentioned to you before. And I get out of my car, I get geared up, I start heading into the woods, and once I get in the woods, probably about 200 yards, I see movement to the front of me, going in between the trees, and it looks to be uh, a Sasquatch in between about six to seven foot tall. I estimate that from some of the branches that I got by after watching this thing. 
And after walking a while, I noticed movement on my right-hand side. There was another one that was shadowing me on my right-hand side. And I wanted to hunt my way from the parking lot down to the lake, which is probably close to, uh, I'd say close to a, a half mile to a, to a mile, give or take, a little bit there. And I was about halfway there. And I, that's when I saw the one uh, trailing me on my right-hand side. And I just stopped because it didn't feel right. I uh, stood there a couple minutes, got my collected my wits about me, and I decided instead of trying to get back there fast, I was just going to slow hunt my way back. And I slow hunted my way back to the parking lot, and the whole time, the the one that was behind me, I mean in front of me, was now behind me going from tree to tree, and the one he was that was on my left, and I changed sides, I mean my right, he was on my left now, he was going from tree to tree. And they shouted me all the way from the woods up until about 50 yards away from the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And you talk about feeling uncomfortable. That was a very uncomfortable yeah. feeling. I would say, wow. And that happened I'm... close to uh, close to 30 years ago, and I haven't been back to that place since. And other guys that I know have had similar encounters there also. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, you have uh, you've had quite uh, the amount of extraordinary encounters uh, that a lot of people um, wish for or don't wish for, depending on uh, what you're looking for or not looking for. And so, uh, Jeffrey, I mean, uh, extraordinary. Um, Pennsylvania um, is like we talked about before. Um, uh, has been historically a hotspot for uh, reports mm-hmm. and stands to reason given the terrain, um, given the abundance of uh, natural resources, you know, uh, down the road. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I know there's a ton of researchers in this area, um, you know, investigating stories and reports and doing their thing. Um, I'm looking forward to future reports from this area to add to you know, not just my personal database, but the the uh, as far as patterns and whatnot to be included. You know, exciting stuff. And I I really thank you for for joining us tonight yeah, and, and sharing exactly. yeah sharing your your um, reports uh, and encounters. Uh, you know, you you seem like uh, you put yourself in the right place at the right time, um, even if you don't necessarily mean to because you're you, you don't claim to be a researcher or anything you just you happen to be out there i think that's also a key point it's just you're out there mm-hmm. right and i think jeffrey that um i'm going to take you up on that offer of coming out to see you guys uh, just uh, like i said give me a call let me know yeah yeah it sounds very interesting i think i can spend a few days the out there in some of the areas, uh, I think it would behoove you to put up a camera or a recorder sometimes. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, I appreciate <laughs> you calling yeah. in for us, Jeffrey. Not a problem, Joy. All right. Hey, Jeff- Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're going to um, we're going to leave you now and jump to our next guest. But once again, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Okay, thank you very much. All right, and happy All right. have a good night. You. Okay. Yes, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I mean, uh, what a, what uh, a plethora of sightings uh, and, mm-hmm. and you know, somewhat, imp- you know, information-wise 
that he shared on the show. Um, fascinating stuff. Makes me yeah, uh, makes me even that much more interested in the state of Pennsylvania. <laughs> oh yes. Um, I'd like to talk to him in depth some more, you know, down the road. Um, yeah. Be a good show down yeah. the road to uh, research the state of Pennsylvania and get get right. other uh, researchers and eyewitnesses from the state of Pennsylvania to kind of back up what he's, you know, especially in that exactly. specific area. That'd be fascinating. So, well, we are going to jump right to our next guest uh, in Bobby Reich. Uh, I'm going to bring him on. And um, Bobby, are you, there? are you there, Bobby? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, uh, did I pronounce your last name right? Nope. It's Rich. Nope. <laughs> I apologize. Rich. I was uh Rich. Okay. I apologize. I hate pronouncing last names wrong, so uh I apologize for that. No problem. It's done all the time. Yeah, but however, yeah. <laughs> however, thank you uh for joining us. Uh we had a great guest on uh sharing um his his encounters and you are another fascinating person uh in the fact that you've had multiple encounters and it's and we're talking about a completely different side of the country which is awesome and i know bobby that uh you're an admin um could you can you tell us a little bit about your background and, and what you're up to now and then we'll get into your reports background as far as what work uh, or? sasquatch just your your background with, with the subject of Sasquatch, you know, Gunner Gunner always likes to start a show talking uh, and asking the guests um, what their background and, and familiarity with, is with, with Sasquatch. What's your background with that? Um, the only thing I was familiar with it with was uh, back when I was a uh, five- or six-year-old, they were doing a double feature of Planet of the Apes at one of the movie theaters, and all the neighborhood kids went we went and they showed the Patterson Gimlin film in between an intermission, and that was the first thing I was aware of. And then the in search of movies with Leonard Nimoy, and then mm-hmm. that was it until I had my first sighting when I was 12 and 76. In 76, okay, so yeah, uh, but I'm a hunter, yeah, ever since I got my first gun when I was five years old. and collected them ever since with Hunter and been out in the woods since I was a little bitty. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh so yeah, let's get into your to your first encounter. Uh what you were doing, uh, the general area that you were in and how everything uh you know played out, how everything came to be. Okay. It was uh the weekend after the fourth of July in 1976, I was up uh, above Strawberry in a or yeah, Strawberry, California, up above Sonora, in an area called Eagle Meadows. It's roughly where the Sierra sounds were recorded. Um, we were camping. There were uh, my family and then two other families there. Uh, my parents and sisters stayed at a mother home. I was in a tent with my puppy, and then there were two other campers who were in like a U-shape, and I was at the end of the U up against uh, a big pine tree in my tent. And it was uh, either a full moon or near a full moon that night, and it was um, I had no watch with me, so I'm guessing somewhere between 1 and 3 in the morning. 
um, I heard this crunching sound coming off of a hill down to the road, and where we were camping, it uh, they um, paved the uh, dirt roads with ground up lava rock, and so you could hear crunching. It was bipedal steps. You could hear it crunching down the, across the road and across part of our camping area, and then it went down to the creek and. As it was walking on the uh, river rocks, you could hear them shifting under the weight. And then it sounded like it picked up two rocks and it would hit them together in set to three. It did it click, click, click. It did it like three or four times. And then it either put them down or carried them, I don't know. But when it did that, it started walking towards my tent. You could hear the river rock um shifting again and then I got onto the crunchy uh gravel where we were in the in the dirt you hear the stomp, stomp, stomp. It was getting closer and closer to my tent and I was I was panicked. I was just frozen in fear. My pup was sound asleep, didn't even notice anything. And then it crossed the back of my tent was where the the moon was shining on and it crossed right with probably in, within 10 feet of my tent. And you could see the, uh, the shadow of it from like the shoulders um, down. And you could tell it had kind of long, messed up hair on the body portion. And when it first showed its shadow and got partway in, I screamed. It shot, it had to have shot straight out because it no longer went across my tent. And uh, my dad came out with his gun and saw the picnic table and my shot it thinking it was a bear. But I made him check and that there was nothing out there. And then I ran into the motorhome and stayed there the rest of the night. We left the next day. There were no prints. There's no way you could have uh, found any prints on that uh, lava rock. But there was nothing there. And they were all telling me, oh, no, 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 it's a bear. It was a bear. You heard it crunching or a deer pounding its hoofs on the rocks. No, it was not. I've seen a walk behind my tent. <laughs> yeah. And how tall do you think it was? I'm guessing that one's probably seven or eight feet tall to cast a shadow. It depends on where the moon the moon was actually at, but I'm I'm guessing seven to eight feet tall before I'm seeing it from over the shoulder down. So that was number one. And you ready for the rest? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, with, with this first uh, encounter, I mean, was there any uh, smell associated? What was the weather like? I mean, do you know do you know what ele- elevation you were at, possibly? Uh, it's roughly 6,000 feet in elevation. Uh, it was a clear summer night. It was in, uh, probably, I think it was, we figured it out. It was, I think, the 11th or 12th of July. It was a weekend, and it was the last day we were there, so it was uh, it would have been early Saturday night, Monday Saturday night, Sunday morning right in there because mm-hmm. we left the next day so and for the, the viewership know, uh, the listening audience what was the terrain like out there, I mean what's in this area, you got water, I mean what were you guys doing out there I mean you got camping of course but yeah we were just, we were just camping that was that was it Oh yeah, and there were no smells associated with any of any of my account or encounters. But we were just out there camp, uh, camping. We were right next to a creek, 
probably my tent was probably fifty feet from it. And um the train is mountainous. There's a few kinda tall mountains, but there's no, you know, huge tight peaks there around that area. It's just mountains, pine trees, uh willows around the um creeks, uh Manzanita. You guys crawling out from with that, buckbrush. Yeah. Stone cabbage. Just general mountain type stuff. Pretty uh pretty yeah. uh, bright night uh, as far as moon phase. Yeah, it was a totally clear night. Yeah. So I got a I got a good good view of it of the shadow crossing my tent. Very, very yeah. defined. I can see yeah. I I've had I've had similar experiences. <laughs> and so I know I kinda I'm, you're kind of reliving, retelling some of the, my experiences. But so first encounter, um, obviously nothing absolute definitive as far as you know whatnot. But so you've had other encounters. Uh, what was your your next encounter? Okay, all the rest of my next encounters, including my dad's, are um, about 30 miles northwest of Susanville, California. Um. We were we've been deer hunting there since I was a baby. Um, we would go two weeks for archery and a week for a rifle, so we were up there quite an extended period during hunting season. And we have a little tiny zone, so nobody else liked to get that zone because in that zone you had to have a three point or better, and we count the uh, points different than you guys do elsewhere. Um, you cannot count the eye guards, and you can only count the points on one side. So it has to have at least three points, not including the eye guard, on one side. So nobody liked to hunt that zone. Everything else was two points, and this zone was tiny, a tiny zone. Nobody hunted that but us. And my second encounter was roughly 77, 78, somewhere right in there. And what we were doing is the um, half of the people would go up on top of a hill. The rest would go down on a lower road and spread out. And the people up above would walk down and drive the deer down to the people below. Well, I was walking down um, from the top going down. I walked through some normal big growth forest, nothing. I walked through some tall manzanita. It's thick brush and it gets 8, 12 feet high. And I cleared through that and I got to this spooky area. I hated that spot. It was a old clear cut where they had replanted it and they didn't thin the trees out. So the trees are like 4 or 5 feet apart and they're probably 25 feet high, so it was everything inside of it was dead, and it was so dark. It was a dense, dark forest. So I cleared the manzanita, and I got to that, and I was walking into it probably 30, 35 yards, I'm guessing, and all of a sudden I heard the Tasmanian devil behind me. I turned around, and I looked, and you couldn't see it. I was walking from north to south, and it was walking from west to east, but you could hear it. Um, you couldn't hear the walking, the steps, but you could hear the noise and it until it, it kept walking by until it went out of range. It was inside the manzanita. And 
always thought, you know, that it stuck in my mind because it was just so odd. We're 26 miles from civilization on top of a hill. There's nobody else that hunts this song but us, and there would be nobody up there to do it. And I know there was no animals that could do that, and it didn't even cross my mind until, you know, later recently where I was listening to tapes and heard that same exact noise. I wasn't really frightened. It was just an odd. It was just odd. Where where have you heard that sound before? Is there a particular, was it anything uh, the, from the Sierra sound? Or? Yeah, the Sierra sounds and a, a couple others. Where it was like that where it's doing like the Tasmanian devil. That's Wow. Have you heard anything like that since? Uh, no, never since. The never. Only thing, the only thing I can think of now is that it was probably ten o'clock in the morning when we were doing this. The only thing I can think of is they go, they supposedly like to go up high to sleep, and I woke it up, and it was oh, mad, and yeah. let me know it. That was what I'm thinking, and that's the same thing for my third encounter. Wow. Any questions on this one? <laughs> Well, yeah, no, I agree with you that, uh, you know, uh, and I know nothing, but I will say that, you know, if I look at what's known, uh, especially with cats and stuff, you know, high ground is always the best ground. Uh, so a high vantage point, you can see everything, you're protected, uh, and uh, you can, usually you can get a, a fast getaway, too. If something that is approaching you, um, you feel threatened, you can get away real quick. But the high point for most animals uh, you know, I mean, most of the uh, trail camera pictures that we get on the ridges, you know, are, are, are uh, you know, hunting animals. And and so you're talking about a high vantage point and also away from people. You're not talking about low areas. So it, it stands yeah. for reason that, you know, a Sasquatch would utilize these high areas for, for taking a nap or hunting or, or traveling. Uh, just It just, that to me stands out and stands to reason. Yeah. And right. You got to consider um, one other thing too. That in my mind, there are no Bigfoots that are up there at all. In my mind, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was not right. you, leery of of them. I mean, you're in so, an area where there's bear and everything else. Obviously, uh, that area has yeah, bear and, and cougar and the whole we have the bear, whole nine cougar, bobcat. Uh, antelope, deer, um, coyotes, badgers. Um, my grandma actually saw a wolverine there um, about that time period too. And never, nobody's ever wow. seen it since. Yeah, I was going to huh. well, wolverine. Regardless, in Northern California, uh, is rare. I mean, rare, rare, <laughs> rare. very rare. You know, I, I've been up here in Oregon. There's porcupine up here. I've never seen a porcupine, but they're here. <laughs> I get oh, yeah. reports. We have those. I, I know people have seen them. Those. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so it's just that rare. Uh, but also, uh, you know, they know how to stay hidden. Uh, but they're here. I just haven't seen one. Yeah, I always collect stickers from them. Get a stick and scrape them off. <laughs> Take yeah. those souvenirs when I find them. They, mm-hmm. they don't run very well, fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. So, so uh, just real quick with this particular encounter. Uh, y- y- your impression was that maybe you, you had woken it up or, or you were, you know, you placed, you guys had placed yourself in an area where you stirred something or, and were you guys being loud? I mean, what were you doing? 
we're walking down from the top of the hill down to scare deer down to the people down below. That's what we were doing. So we were making noise as we were going down yeah. to spook them. Yeah, spook them. Huh? Right. So, uh, yeah, well, you I'm spook just, something I'm, else, I'm apparently. Sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure I, I, I woke it up, and it was just letting me know that I wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. Or you huh. came across an area where, where it didn't want you or wasn't happy that you were there, uh, whether it was sleeping or not. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it was sleeping though, because it was. Uh, mm-hmm. It they would be up all night, hunting, mm-hmm. and that would seem to be at sleeping time. Because I, from uh, my other experiences and other hearing other people's reports, I see just wake up, and people start seeing them around three o'clock in the afternoon. That seems to be mm-hmm. the uh, most uh, mm-hmm. time encountered of them again. In the daytime. Well, yeah. Once again, like sure. like our last guest, this is another area with a lo- percentage-wise with a lot of um, reports and encounters. I mean, uh, so, yeah. There's a there's a yeah. lot of encounters up in that area that I've uh, dug up. Even uh, somebody oh. and my dad's encounter. When I get to that story, somebody yeah. seen it a few years. The same one. It had to be the same one. It was the same spot. It was the same color. My dad seen it was like six feet high, and this guy seen it a few years later. It was eight feet high. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll definitely get to that for sure. Uh, you know, that's how you know um, predictability and patterns, and and uh, another visualization in the same general area. Awesome. So, what other uh, encounters have you had? Um. Well, I'll mention that the one where I, the Tasmanian sounding one, this story that I just told was probably mm-hmm. a quarter mile to a half a mile from our camp as the crow flies. But my um, third encounter was a little further away. It was probably three to five miles with crow flies. And I think this, I think it's a totally different group from the one that's right by our camp. Um, the third encounter, we are doing the same thing. It was probably 79.80. And... Again, I was at the top of the hill walking down, and I can remember my uncle was one of the ones walking down, too. I remember that because he was in the next clearing over for me. Um, walked through some heavy, dense, tall forest, the older growth stuff, and I walked into this clear cut, and uh, separating me and my uncle, there was probably a 20-foot group wide of or 20 yard wide group of trees that they didn't take down and I was walking on the other side away from him along the tree line and I got a ways down into this clearing and all of a sudden this growl that could not oh I got to mention there's there were manzanita growing where the old growth stopped and the clear cut so I had to walk through a, a grove of manzanita to get into the clear cut. So anyway, this growl, I mean, it was the deepest vibrating growl that you can imagine. There's no way a person, a bear, or anything like that could do that. And I whipped around, and I lo- I'm looking, scanning the manzanita, looking for something that's growling at me, sneaking up on me, and th- there was nothing there. So I walked to the center of the clearing away from the trees, so I'd be on the open, and then 
um, I told my uncle in the other clearing, so I felt a little more relieved, and I went on down. And the growl vibrated my body, and it was so, so low, the the tone of it, that there's nothing that I knew of that could make that, not even a bear, could do, could do that, that growl. And that was number three. Yeah, I mean... Uh... The the see that's one of the, the the more interesting things with some reports is that uh, for those that have ex, you know hunters specifically that have experienced um, bear sounds and whatnot, it's the, the 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 these sounds that come out that you can feel that reverberate through your body that are from something large. Obviously, uh, those always stand out to me. And especially during uh, many an encounter or a sighting, the the, the, the pure um, gutturalness of some of these these vocals are just crazy. Yeah, as you're was, describing, this was something else. Yeah, it was nothing. It was nothing like a bear. I hunt bear. I was within a few feet of a bear that was growling at me, and it was nothing like it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people mention um, infrasound, you know, along with these reports. I mean, did you experience yeah. anything like that? Or was it just, you know, the, this this pure uh, pure uh, sound, uh, you know, this, this guttural whatever? I mean, is that what you experienced? Did you, did you feel funny or anything or just like, whoa? No, I could feel it in my body. And it, it, yeah. it did it. So it was either it was either the low tone of it, or it had the infrasound in with it. One of the one of the two, or both. But I felt it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's no. There, that, it, it's one of those things where you don't forget it because <laughs> you felt it. No. it. You felt through your body. You, you never forget that. I mean, it's just it sticks with you. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it did. Yeah. yeah. Number okay. Number four was my worst. Worst experience. Um, we had already been up hunting for the two weeks, and uh, we wanted to come again. Three of us wanted to come up again um, for the last weekend of the of archery season. So um, during deer hunting, I didn't have a vehicle. I rode up with somebody, so I didn't have a vehicle to go around and sit at tree stands or anything. So I found one. It was an old abandoned one sitting right off the road, right next to a pond where they had deer come and watered or drank. So um, we brought up three oars the next trip. And first night were the three days. The first night I went, or yeah, evening I went there for the evening set. Um, I got pictures of uh, does and fawns coming and drinking and, no bucks came in. Um, the second day driving up there, um, just before I got to my stand, uh, buck breast, they have these large thorns, rammed into my pinky knuckle and sunk in. So I went ahead and got up my tree stand, and I tried to line up or tried to cut it out, and I couldn't do it. And so I tried to line up the puncture hole with the uh, eagle that was, or the thorn that was in my knuckle, and try to push it out. Well, I ended up pushing it deeper into my knuckle. So I had to get back down, go into camp, wait for them to get back, go to the hospital. They had to 
surgically remove it. And so now my pinky's in a sling sticking out. So third day to the stand, last day there. I parked a three-wheeler about 100 yards down the road so I can see if from my stand it's going to be swipes it or anything. Walked to my stand. Um, before I get up there, I decided, you know, I'm going to relieve myself. So I walked back in about 35 yards behind the stand where I didn't think any gear would come from because it uh, went back in there a ways and then it dropped down at a, like a 45-degree angle down to a lake way, way, way down below. So... I did my business, walked back to the tree stand, got up in it, and just as I was turning to sit down, a roar that shook me to my bones, to my core, man, let out. And I was in the midst of sitting down. I sat down, and I'm, I'm frozen. And, you know, my whole body's vibrating from the score, lasting like five, ten seconds long. Just noise intensity. The only way I can describe it is the lion roar, but with a T-Rex's intensity, like you see in the right. Jurassic Park, how they just do that. And so I slowly turn over my left shoulder and to look, and my tree stand sits like five feet off the road, and then the road is probably 20, 25 feet wide, and all I can see is the far side of the road. I can't see anything standing there, but it was probably another 10, 15 feet just outside of my view but I'm sure it could see the lower portion of my body in the tree. It was just roaring so loud. Oh, my God, it was horrifying. And then he got dead quiet. It's not approaching me. It's not walking away. Nothing's happening. I'm sitting there watching that spot. And in front, in front of the tree stand is the pond. It's directly beneath me. And it's probably 20, 25 feet in length and maybe 15 feet wide. And it's set in a, at the edge of a clear cut, and it went like 100 yards deep, and then it went up a small hill and uh, more beyond that. And it's probably, I don't know, 60, 80 yards wide. And I sat in one corner, the, one corner of it, and probably 15 minutes passed, and all of a sudden it, that roar was again, and it was... In the in front of me, to my left, at the corner of the uh, clear cut, into this deep in the deep woods field just before it went up the hill. So my attention goes there. I'm thinking it's the same same thing roaring at me, and I'm not I'm not thinking Bigfoot. I'm thinking there's no Bigfoots up there in my mind. And so I'm watching this spot, and I I could in my peripheral vision I can see my uh, three-wheeler and the uh, road and I'm sitting there watching this last spot where it roared and all of a sudden in my peripheral vision I see something tall and black step off the road into the woods heading towards the second sound so now I know there's two somethings out there yeah. so you know I'm petri- I'm petrified just I didn't feel any of the vibrating stuff on the second the second roar it was just it just did it so I'm sitting here thinking okay it's it's about 3.30 in the afternoon right now. And it's going to get dark soon. And I'm not going to be in the tree stand when it gets dark. So I waited about one hour. There's still no sound. There's no wildlife movement, no trees, birds in my tree. 
anymore, no squirrels, no chipmunks, no nothing, just dead silent. So I waited like the hour, and then I just booked it out of that tree, and I ran for my my three-wheeler. I didn't even look into the woods to see if anything was following me, and I got out of there. That was number four. Well, so during this encounter, I mean, <laughs> where were the irregularities that were standing out to you? I mean, <clears throat> you, you, you probably were the obviously what? hunted this area. You've hunted this area before, obviously. Yes. Um, what was the? You mentioned the 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 quietness, no nothing going on out there. Was that um, cause for alarm for you? Yeah, to, because it's not quiet. There's always those stupid little chickadees in your tree that are squawking that you're there in their territory. They're constant, and the little uh, chipmunks and squirrels. And when they see you or if they see you move, then they'll do their alarm. There was nothing. They weren't even around. They were gone this whole time. Yeah. So, yeah. So to to hear uh, this penetrating roar, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, coming from nothing, uh, that would frighten most people. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was my worst experience. <laughs> and and it was standing there. It was just out of my sight. It was probably within say twenty five, thirty, probably forty feet from me, 35, 40 feet from me, standing there, and I couldn't see it. And it, I, I know mm-hmm. it could see me, the bottom, bottom portion of my body. Mm-hmm. So this area, is this, I mean, we're talking about multiple possible encounters. I mean, so is this area in close proximity to the other encounters? It's uh, close to the growl. Mm-hmm. Uh, close to the growl, okay. The field where I heard the growl is probably a mile, mile away from it. Oh yeah, that's nothing. That's nothing to the north, right? The uh, one of the things that the that I've heard you mention a few times, uh, and our our last guest mentioned, was manzanita. Uh, can you yes. describe uh, manzanita for our audience? You know, we got uh, people around the country listening that don't know what the heck manzanita is. I do. Uh, I'm, I'm from Southern California. I know manzanita well, and I've traveled all around California. What, what, can you yeah. describe manzanita, the, the, the uh, plant? It's an unusual plant. It has shiny, rustish, brownish bark that's smooth. It'll grow to 8 to 12 feet high. It has oval-shaped leaves about the size of a walnut, and they're kind of greenish-gray, really thick, and then it gets red berries on top that animals mm-hmm. like to eat. And really dense, and, too. Yeah, and really dense, and 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 really, really, it's really hard wood. I mean, it really is. Yeah, extremely hard wood. Yeah. It's very expensive too. Uh, people use it for uh, decoration and stuff. Yeah, it's it, it's an amazing and very uh, attractive looking uh, bush tree. You know, I mean, uh, reason I bring that up is because up here in the Pacific Northwest, specifically, uh, some of the possible evidence we've uh, uncovered and discovered, and, and some many of the reports revolve around huckleberry uh, bushes, also very uh, thick and hard wood. Um, but th- there there are, uh, to me, patterns there. And uh, you know, our guest from Pennsylvania, our past guest uh, last hour, mentioned manzanita, and you've mentioned it. And so I just bring that to the, the you know the forefront as you know some of these encounters and reports come. Uh, as as far as patterns and 
possible predictability around Manzanita, as we're, you know, in, in the Pacific Northwest, we got a lot of huckleberry, especially up high country where where you get a lot of reports and stuff um, and, and interesting things happen. So uh, I yeah, just had to talk about that. Yeah. Great place for them to hide in. They can hide easily behind it. They can peek mm-hmm. over it, peek through it. It's got berries. There's tons of it around. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And I just I, I I find that really freaking interesting. Personally, I hope the audience does. But I find that really interesting. Um, and if anybody is uh, somewhat of an investigator or likes this subject, you know, uh, just put that in your notebook. Uh, you know, when when taking in these reports and listening to people and whatnot, I think it's important because uh, just as a hunter would look for certain um, things when they're hunting deer and whatnot, uh, not that we're hunting Bigfoot, but look for mm-hmm. these patterns uh, in, in areas where <clears throat> this stuff grows that may be of interest to you. So just throwing that out there. But so that was your your, your fourth encounter, correct? So w- what else has yeah. gone on um, with Bobby in these areas? I mean, it's pretty fascinating stuff in, in this, you know, NorCal area. Yeah. The, uh, one thing I might mention, all my encounters, my second through the fifth and my dad's were all during August during archery season. Mm-hmm. All of them were at that time frame. Yeah. So you got two things going on there. You got hunting season, but you also have people out in these areas, which August, uh, for me personally, is, and once again, for obvious reasons, an er- a time of year where you get a lot of reports, August through December. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you, you got the, the warmer uh, time of year, and people are out hunting. There's more people camping and doing things. Obviously, there's if Sasquatch is out there and they're going to show themselves or be seen, it's going to be during those months. But to me, there's much, much more going on there. Uh, do you agree, Bobby? Yeah. And I also want to mention that third, that third encounter was again when I was coming off the top of the off the top of a hill, walking mm-hmm. down, making noise, and it was also again about 10 a.m. So I probably disturbed that one too. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and as far as <clears throat> the time frame for reports, that's a little bit um, out of the. You know, a lot of people report early a.m. or late night. So the yeah. 10 a.m., and I've gotten rid of those reports, and I've had odd stuff happen to myself, being in areas where I'm making a ruckus or stirring up stuff. So uh, the once again, kind of stands yeah. to reason, but also out of out of your norm for uh, reports. Not necessarily for hunters, though. That's, that's something yeah. to uh, realize. Yeah. Yeah, we were always out there going through the woods, and like I mentioned before, we were the only ones that hunted in that zone because it was so small. There were no other hunters in in there. And uh, during this time that we're sighting, um, or after my um, second encounter, they changed the rules for hunting. You could only you had to choose either archery or rifle, and so we always chose. Um, archery. So we were in there during August, beating. The, we're out actually deep in the woods, beating the bushes, pushing things out off the top of hills to mm-hmm. lower things. So we were so we were out there doing that in groups. Right. So I'm, but yes. I'm very. So you were spread I'm out. Very sure that the. I'm very sure that these things were. Uh, knew us or recognized us 
because, like I said, I, since I was a baby, we've been going there. All my family is like a family reunion type thing out there in the campground. So we've been out there for my grandparents started some 70-some years ago. So I'm very sure they were familiar with their newer faces and just didn't bother us, always walked in the wrong, the other direction um, until I, the fourth encounter when I marked the territory and I'm pretty sure it was standing there watching me or TV growing up. They were, they, two of them might have been hunting at that pond at that time or my AV, ATV attracted them when I came in and they were coming in to see what I was doing and either saw me uh, peeing in the woods or just was sneaking up on me after I was getting in my tree and passed the spot and smelled it or something, but they let me know about it. Yeah, but for the non-hunters out there, I mean, what you guys were doing was trying to, um, you had guys on the bottom, or I don't know how many was in your group, but you were trying to uh, um, bring something down and, and bring it to a point where something could be shot, Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys were probably space apart, um, hiking down. So uh, correct, it's, it's, probably uh, 50, it, 50 yards apart. Yeah, in yeah. groups like five up, five up top, and five or six down below is how we did it. Yeah, and so you're covering quite a bit, a little bit of terrain there in this area. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I find that you know really fascinating, and uh, hunters u- utilize this method quite frequently. You know, to you know, especially some you know when you've already got your your for for hunters, you know, when you've already got your kill, your quota, or whatever, um, you, you you may not partake in actually shooting something, but you will partake in in uh, drawing something to a point where another hunter can have an opportunity. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. So. So. Uh, now, how many more encounters have you had in, in, in still one more. this general general area? Yeah, same spot. My last yeah. one was from the growl to the tree stand one. Much oh, I got to mention my tree stand was August of eighty one. I was a junior in high school. Um, like I said, there were probably as crow flies about a mile apart, and the growl was like north, mostly north of the tree stand. In 1982, my last sighting was one mile down the road from the tree stand and probably half to three-quarters of a mile from the the growl point. So like a small triangle right there. And for my fifth encounter, we were driving down the side of the mountain. They had a like a one-lane road or trucking road road for logs, logging road, and it was cut to the side of the mountain. This mountain was like on a 45-degree angle heading down to the lake below, and it was overgrown. On my sister's side of the truck, we were driving south. She was looking uphill. There was like a six-foot bank, and then the um, manzanita started above that. I was looking downhill, and I had manzanita and small trees 15 or so feet high, uh, re-going back from the old burn. And I was on the driver's side looking down in the back of the truck. My bow and her bow are on the cab, so we're leaning up against the cab. I'm looking down, and we were coming to a old-growth portion that the fire had damaged, and it had limbs hanging over 
the road, and if you don't duck, you get swiped off the truck. So probably 30, 35 yards before we got there, I glanced over to see how much time I had before I had to duck, and my eyes caught a Bigfoot staring at me. He was about 10 feet off the road, standing up against the tall road, but behind a tree. He had the, it was about a 15-foot tall tree. He had the top of it pulled over, and he was looking at me. I saw his whole um, face, except for he had a limb coming across his lips, so I couldn't see his lips. I could see his left shoulder. And my eyes locked on him. He was in shock. I was in shock. <laughs> he had his head like it was tipped, like he had tipped it back. He had a rounded head. He didn't have a cone. He had big black eyes that were like they were wide open in shock. And I could see big nostril holes uh, for his nose. And I glanced away from him and looked back down home. When I looked back, he had let loose of the limb. And I thought something like a baby had jumped off of off of it and was running downhill because I got a tree he was, had pulled over. There was another one about 10 feet away, and I saw down on all fours, I saw from like the elbow back and the knees forward, uh, jet black. This thing was jet black, and he had gorilla-colored skin, and I seen a silver back on it. I always thought it was a, a baby one jumping off, but it, I, I know it's not anymore. It was that thing going from standing up to all fours to get away. And by this time that it's on all fours, I'm about 20 yards away from it. And I back up against my sister and just looking at that spot where it was standing as we approached it. And when we got there, there was like a 10-foot clearing gap between that tree and the old growth stuff. And it went down probably... 30 yards and to Manzanita and he he had he was already gone out of sight. That's when I knew they wow. were there. So wow. I don't think I've had anybody tell me that before that they saw one actually running away on all fours. That's that is crazy. Yeah, but this I'm sure that there is one group right there they were it was like within Three to, three to four years apart, and the fourth and fifth counter one, were one year apart, and the growl was like a year or two before the. And I'm sure it was the same the same creature that I saw in my fourth encounter getting the glimpse of it stepping off the road into the woods because I it was tall and black. I'm sure it was the same same one. Jeez. that was my last encounter. I did not. After that, I don't sit on tree stands anymore. I don't go out in the woods alone anymore. There's always somebody with me <laughs> or within sight of yeah. me. Right. Um, I mean, so your last your last encounter. I mean, we're talking about 1982. Why have Correct. you not? Uh, why have you not uh, experienced anything since? Is it because of what you just stated right now? Well, I went to college for. Uh, four years out of state and didn't hunt anymore. Then I got married and lived out of state for about 
15 years and then just only recently been started going back. So, but I right now I have a brain tumor and I cannot get out and walk, well, and beat the bushes anymore. So, wow, wow. I mean, you. Uh, but I can hunt. I can hunt from the truck and walk and look for stuff. But I can't mm-hmm. get out and walk out in the woods. And I won't sit in a tree stand by myself. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Did, did you, you have any kind of odor with this stuff at all when you none of were my that close to it? None of them. None of I don't them. know if it was they just didn't do it or the wind was blowing the wrong direction, but I have never had the odor. Hmm. And then my dad's encounter was either the year or the year after my first encounter. His was right by camp within probably half a mile to a mile that's a crow flies from camp and my um what's it called? Tasmanian Devil Sound was in between that those two spots. Uh, him and my grandfather were coming back from town with groceries and again it was like three, three thirty in the afternoon and all of a sudden he hit his brakes and look, he thought he saw a deer, and he described it as like the Patterson-Gimlin film, except it was going the opposite direction. It walked just like it, and it also turned it over its shoulder and looked back at him and then walked off. But his was uh, the same color as deer, kind of that buff brown <laughs> color, and he said it was like six, six and a half feet tall, and they went back the next day and checked, and there were no tracks. There's no way you're going to find any tracks up there because it's all small uh, lava rock type stuff. The only way would be if one had stepped in the powder along the dirt road, uh, the logging roads. That's the only way you're going to be able to find a a track there or around one of the ponds. But there are no creeks there that come off of snowpack. All the snow goes into the ground and you have natural springs that are popped up everywhere. And on my fifth encounter, about 50 yards back from where I saw saw that thing staring at me, on my sister's side, like I said, there's a bank there, probably three feet up from the edge of the bank, there was a water hose fountain coming up out of the ground. It was just the same amount around as a water faucet hose. If you turned it on full blast, it was squirting up 8, 12 inches, and it was kind of arched over. But it did not run back off the hill. It was going straight back into the ground. I think that one was going back or was walking over to get a drink from that mm. that spring is what I think. But yeah. also so, in my uh, dad's encounter, when it, he said when it turned and looked back at him, he, he scared him. And then um, reading reports, there's a, a report, if you go on YouTube, um, Pittville Road, Susanville, California, there's a encounter that's almost word for word of my dad. It's the exact same spot, one mile from from camp. You saw it a few years later, same color, except for it was around eight feet tall. Did the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure there are two separate groups right there. The black ones. So Bobby, Bobby, got to ask you. So yeah. having had these multiple encounters and sightings, what sticks out in your head? Why you and what were you, I mean, being out there, obviously, uh, as our last guest pointed out, is being out in the woods. Uh, 
uh, getting these encounters and sightings. But is there anything that sticks out in your head as a pattern or something you were doing uh, that made you more uh, prone to have these encounters? I think it's the time of the day and what we were doing. Because mm-hmm. two of the encounters, we were, we were actually on top of the hill, and I think they were up there sleeping. It was mid-morning, and we were driving down making noise to disturb things to make them come out of hiding to drive down to the people down below. That, I think they're sleeping on the top of the hills in the, in the, uh, in the mornings. Mm-hmm. I think they're waking up around 3 o'clock in the afternoon to come out and get drinks. That's the second time of the day when people start seeing them the most is around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But uh, the morning ones, we were deliberately on top of the mm-hmm. hill driving, making noise to stir up animals. So that's the pattern that I see there. So so do you think Sasquatch is um, a nocturnal entity? Yeah, I do. I do, I do. Uh, many of the reports reflect that. Um, I tend to agree that a lot of their activity is at night, as a lot of predators are. And I find Sasquatch to be, uh, you know, like many animals, uh, capable of being nocturnal and biurnal. I mean, just stands to reason. Uh, but, you know, yeah, we, I'm all about patterns and predictability, so I, gotta, I had to ask that yeah, question. Yeah. Yeah, I've never heard any other odd noises like the screams that they some people record. I've never heard any of that there. I have heard wood knocks, but I've always considered it as part of natural being in the woods. It's just every so often you hear a knock. Because I never associated mm-hmm. a Bigfoot, didn't know they did, mm-hmm. did that. So it was just natural part of being in the woods. Um, I just lost my train of thought. I had something else to tell you about that. Uh, oh, that that that's fine. That's fine. Uh, it, you know, your your um, encounters have been uh, very intriguing, uh, to say the least. Uh, and given the uh, known area, which you have stated before, um, I mean, California has an absolute ton of reports, specifically Northern California. Mm-hmm. Oregon's got a lot. Washington's got a lot. British Columbia's got a lot. Ohio does. And so it's it, for me, it's about piecing together. Uh, what's going on out there with these reports, encounters, and finding similarities? Uh, you know, I know, uh, Bobby, you are kind of a student of the subject. Uh, you know, you, you, you've been, you know, since your encounters and whatnot, um, you, you mentioned your brain tumor, and, and I, I'm sorry to hear that, uh, that you can't get out and do things that you probably would love to do. But I know that you're still, um, based on, on what you've experienced, a student of the subject, like many of us, uh, and, mm-hmm. and are as interested as us on it. You know, I mean, yes. anything you'd like to share, um, any thoughts or ideas as to what Sasquatch may be um, and w- why it's in these areas at given times of year, you know, like August and whatnot? Uh, for being in that area that time of year, I think that is their hunting grounds. It's stocked mm-hmm. with bears, it's stocked with cougars, coyotes, um Badgers, antelope, uh, deer, um, all sorts of prime food. They have natural springs all over the place to drink from, and um, berries. There's gooseberries, and they have the uh, mandarin berries. Just tons of food, everything they need. They have hills they can go up on sleep. I even found uh, right by camp, 
um, right where we had the Tasmanian Sound, I found a ambush shelter mm-hmm. up there, uh, right off of where two or three big main deer trails were. Um, everything they want is right there in that spot, but they cannot stay there over winter, and it's about six thousand feet high, and they there's unless they hibernate. Um, the snowpack uh, sometimes gets 15, 20 foot high. There's no way they can walk in it. There's no way they can get food in it. So they have to migrate to uh, lower elevations. That's yes. The one, I think people get one really hung up on the, the word migration. Uh, they think migration yeah. you got to travel huge distances. When, when in fact, migration. I mean, because black bears, specifically in the northwest, they don't truly hibernate. They they take naps. And they go from lower to higher elevation, just like your deer and elk. So, so migration, for me, and I think for science in general, doesn't necessarily mean um, you know hundreds and hundreds of miles. It means from elevation to elevation to get to that food source. You know, if you got snow in one area and there's a lack of food, well, you follow that down to the lower elevations during the, the times yeah. of the season and get that food. Migration yeah. is just. From one point A to point B, and not necessarily hundreds of miles, it could be miles. Yeah, like I said, the, my, the these last encounters up deer hunting, they're at about a six thousand foot elevation. The last yeah. three encounters are on that on that one hill that I said that drops at a forty five degree angle down to a lake that's uh, about two thousand feet lower in elevation, and it doesn't get near as much snow. Uh, it's this, about the same elevation as Susanville. Um, they don't get much snow. It doesn't stick on the ground for very long when it does snow. And there's a huge lake that they – and stuff down there, I'm sure they grounds through. There's a resort down there. They can eat their garbage and – Yeah. But I, I I know these ones migrate off the hill down to lower elevation. Some might even take a different route and head down towards uh, Chico or something like that. But that that's mm-hmm. longer – destination but they if they go out in those plains and they have i know they have tons of sightings in nevada because it the area that i'm at the mountain range dumps off into the uh, nevada wilderness which is like desolate desert looking stuff with hills that Mm -hmm. they could avoid the the harshness of the uh, winters yeah it's very simple look at the Go to there's a multitude multitude of sites out there. Uh, look at the reports during the time of year, and then you can get a better picture of what's going on during certain times of year. And you you will see because I've done this. You will see patterns there where something uh, the reports are at a high elevation during certain times of year and a lower elevation during other times of year. I mean, you don't even have to look at Sasquatch reports. Look at animal life, deer and elk and bear and everything else. The same report. It, it we're talking about the pyramid effect, and so mm-hmm. just look at those reports. Uh, uh, look at what your known animals out there, and you will get uh, a better picture of possibly what Sasquatch are doing. Yeah. Also, might mention that uh, I have cousins that live up there where we deer hunt, and I talked to one of them, told him about my encounters, and asked him if he's seen anything or experience anything weird out there and he let on like he's had several experiences out there but he doesn't want to talk about them 
and doing my research, I've mm-hmm. seen within about a 15-mile radius around where we camp, there are multiple, multiple sightings by many, many people in that one area. Yeah. You really need to yeah. have like some sort of, but somebody who can actually get out in the field and do stuff up there yeah. scanning the area. Yeah. Well, Bobby, um, please stay in touch, and we really thank you for joining us tonight. We've yeah, got a couple that's, minutes that's here. Great. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your encounter Thanks, experiences. Bobby. Uh, You're welcome and happy Easter. Nope. Yeah, happy Easter. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, happy I'm, Easter, Bobby. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to let you go, but thank you, Bobby, once again for joining us. Okay, thanks for having me on. All right, have talk to you later, night. Bobby. Have a good night. Thank you. Okay. So, you know, for the viewers' uh, listenership, these guys join our shows, these people with encounters, they don't get anything out of it other than to share their experience. Uh, there's no real fame here. So take it, the, the tidbits you can learn, um, you know, you can discount them or not, but there's something to be learned, I think, from many of these reports. And I, I enjoy listening to them, and, and I get as much out of it as some of the audience does, I hope. Um, having said that, uh, next next weekend – uh, we have Cliff Berrickman on the show um, from Finding Bigfoot. He's a, a good friend of mine and a fellow researcher. He's been doing this research for a number of years, and he's going to be on the show next week, so please tune in. Julie, any uh, final thoughts? Well, yeah, I just I think it's fascinating that Hunter, you know, on each side of the country are having very similar mm-hmm. experiences, so, you know, it does seem to kind of confirm off of each other what, their experiences are. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. And that's the point of Monstrux Radio. We want to um, to share these experience encounters and uh, avoid all the, the skullduggery out there and just share the innocence of these reports. And people can enjoy them, I hope, like I do. But uh, Absolutely. You know, anyways, thank you, Julie. Uh, for joining me tonight and be my sure co-host. Thing. Thank you for our guests. Uh, we hope you guys tune in next week for um, a- another fantastic show. Cliff Berkman, who's going to share a bunch of really cool stuff and a fantastic guest, well-known yeah. uh, person in the Bigfoot world. Um, we hope to uh, share Cliff and get to know Cliff um, a little more personally. So we will yeah, sign off now. Yes, yeah, we're going to sign off now. Thank you, Julie. Everybody have a great uh, week.